You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. Man, the culmination of God's creation was man. All of the world, all of the universe, all of its beauty created for man and man created for God. God gives man, Adam and Eve, all of the universe, the world that he created. He says, rule over it, have dominion over it. And look how we do. I mean, we've been to the moon. We've got a rover on Mars. It's amazing the dominion that God has given us. All of it I give to you, but you I've created for me. I want to have fellowship with you. It is the highest calling. It is the greatest privilege. It is where our soul finds its worth. Different than all the animals, different than all of God, just the created things. No, no, no. We were created for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when we understand that, the soul finds its worth. We just realize, wow, what an honor, what a privilege. Without that, we will look for worth in all the wrong places. In beauty, in wealth, in power, in uh, prestige, in real estate, in houses, and possessions. And, uh, but our, it'll never work. It'll always leave us empty. Our worth is in Christ. Our worth is in God's love for us. To have that relationship, God made a perfect garden for Adam and Eve. He called it the Garden of Eden. And in it, it was glorious. I mean, imagine a garden planted by God. And he made it uh, with a, a, a lush riverhead, uh, water source, a fountain. Every garden has a fountain. And, and out of that uh, fountain, that riverhead went into four separate rivers. I mean, massive. This garden was the size of a continent. And it was filled with every tree that is pleasant to the eyes, good for, good, good for uh, food, and, and everything was there. I mean, think about it. The waterfalls, the sunsets, the mountain ranges, the valleys, Adam, Eve, it's yours. Enjoy. Walk with me in the cool of the day. This was God's will. In order for that relationship to be real, we've looked at, uh, there had to be a choice. To participate or not to participate. To care about the God who loves us. Or to say I want no part of you. And in order to give man that choice. God gave man the capacity to understand his love. And now in able to have a, a choice to respond to that love. God made a tree. It was just a regular tree. Nothing special about it. He called it the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he said, if you want to have a relationship with me, do not partake of this tree. You can partake of every tree in the entire earth. They're all yours. This one will be a token, will be a symbol of our relationship. And if you've been with us, you know he named that tree the knowledge of good and evil. Do not think of this idea like you're going to gain knowledge. That's not, that's the wrong understanding of the word. Do not take for yourself the knowledge of what is good and evil. Or do not decide for yourself what is good or what is evil. Let God do that. That will be the token of our relationship. Do not decide for yourself what is good and evil. We still partake of that tree today, right? Uh, well, I think it's okay if we do that. Just, what is that? Just, well, I think. Well, I, well no, 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 no. Let, let God decide what is good, what is evil. Why? Because we're not capable. We're not qualified. There are things that will appear good that won't be good. And there will appear things that appear not good that are good. And so God says, let me decide what is good and evil. And uh, uh, we, again, we still have that choice today of walking in his ways or not. Well, of course, Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God. And instead of partnering in that relationship, they rebelled against him. Satan came, 
took on the form of a serpent. The serpent was a beautiful creature, uh, uh, much like, uh, you know, probably a, a, a dragon uh, stood upright, uh, a, a creature that we know nothing about today, right? Uh, but it's interesting, all cultures have these mythical dragons of, you know, uh, well, that's what Satan was. Uh, that's the, excuse me, that's the animal he chose to possess. He could have chose any animal. He chose that one because it was a glorious creature. And he deceives Eve. And Eve partakes. And Adam partakes. And both of them willfully sin against God. And so today we pick up uh, the fall of man part three. Uh, we're looking at the ramifications of what happened as a result of this fall. And we see that uh, uh, because of this fall, uh, God reveals his redemptive plan to deal with man's sinful rebellion. And I'm so thankful that he did. We looked at last week, and, and uh, scholars call it, theologians call it, the protevangelium. Uh, that's a Latin phrase that means the first good news or the first gospel. Prote, where we get our word prototype or first. And evangelium, where we get our word evangelism, good news. The first good news. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They trusted Satan more than God. They believed Satan over God. They obeyed Satan over God. And Satan thought he won. Just like when he took a third of the angels and they were separated from God forever, God, uh, Satan now thinks, oh, I've got Adam and Eve and they're separated from God forever. They'll now repopulate the earth and I will be the God of this earth, have all of population uh, be my followers. And sure enough, Adam and Eve are following Satan. In the garden, who are they serving after the fall? Satan. God comes and says, where are you? And they hide from him. He asks what happened. And they make excuses. They make lies. They blame each other. They throw uh, the other under the bus. They accuse each other. They, may, they don't take any responsibility. They hide from God. Who are they serving unknowingly? And Satan thinks he has dominion on the earth now. Uh, just like the angels that fell forever separated from God, he thinks man is now forever separated from God, and God reveals his redemptive plan. And we looked at that last week. God speaks to four different people in this redemptive plan. Uh, we looked at two of them last week. The first person he speaks to is the serpent, the physical animal. And he says, cursed are you. Once a beautiful creature, now you'll slither on the ground. You'll slither in the dust all your days. Uh, why did God curse the animal? What did that have to do with anything? The animal had no choice. Satan just possessed it. It wasn't a willful participant. Why did God curse the animal? Here's why. It's a symbol. It's a picture of what's going to happen to Satan ultimately. And we looked at that last week. Satan will be brought down to absolutely nothing. We looked at that in detail last week. He then moves from speaking to the physical serpent and he speaks to the spiritual serpent, Satan. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. And then he gets singular. He shall crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here we see the seed of the woman, the virgin birth, the Messiah that is going to crush the head of the serpent and he did so on the cross. Satan struck at his heel and bruised his heel for sure. Jesus suffered, but Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. And we learned last week, we saw this, uh, something miraculous happened. Because of that, 
God says, I will put enmity between your seed, Satan, and her seed. What's that? The moment now that we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are no longer servants of Satan. We are now at enmity with Satan and going against him. We now become the adopted sons and daughters of God, and we now are in the battle against good and evil, and we are enemies of Satan. We go from being a servant of Satan unknowingly, uh, God saves us, and we become an enemy of Satan. I, uh, yesterday, uh, 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 I went for a run, and my wife went for a walk, and afterwards, we went and got an acai bowl afterwards. Uh, went down to the 101, and uh, the 101 was, was just jamming, you know, it was bumping. And, and we had a hard time finding a parking spot. We found a parking lot, a bunch of cars in it. We walked and got our acai bowl. Afterwards, we walked back to the car, and I walked in my car, and there's a flyer in my door. And on that flyer, it says, Psychic. <laughs> Have your future told or something like that. And it's all mystical, a woman with tarot cards on it. You know, I'm just straight from the pit of hell, right? And, <laughs> and I look at this and I'm just like, Ugh, you know? And I get in my car and I'm like, oh, this is so messed up. They're going to mess people up. And, and I think, wait a minute. I get out of my car and guess what I go do? Start pulling everyone off every car. And I thought of this verse. I will take you from being an enemy against God, and I will use you and make you an enemy against Satan. And that's what God wants to do in our life. And uh, uh, so that's, that's where we left off last week. Today we pick up on the third part of this talk that God has. He spoke to the physical serpent. He spoke to the spiritual serpent, Satan. And now he speaks to the woman. And uh, we see a progression in this order that God is doing. The physical serpent, uh, not a big deal, right? It's just a symbol. The spiritual serpent, Satan, God has no uh, relationship with Satan. They're, he's not close with him. Uh, now he speaks to the woman. Uh, this is the one he doesn't want a relationship with. And lastly, he'll speak to the man, Adam, because he was responsible for this whole thing. He was the spiritual leader over this thing. And so we see an order of progression in these, uh, in these four different talks. So are you there with me in Genesis 3? Uh, that brings us all the way up to verse 16. Uh, again, God has spoken to the serpent. God has spoken to Satan. And now God speaks to the woman. Verse 16. To the woman, he, that's God, said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yeah, bearing fruit will now cause pain to your flesh. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Uh, what's he saying? Your desire is going to be to control your husband. But I've designed it where your husband is to be the spiritual leader in your family. And this is the, the talk that he has with Eve. Short and sweet, but it's, once again, packed full with tons of instruction. Uh, here, unlike the punishments that God spoke to the serpent, uh, we see no occurrence of the word curse as related to the woman. We're going to see the word curse as related to the man, but there's no word curse here as related to the woman. And one reason I think there is for that is because the woman was deceived. She was deceived. She was tricked. She was duped. And uh, no curse on her, uh, but God does say, hey, there's some things that... Uh, uh, are going to happen. Uh, but one thing that we see that we know for sure is what God doesn't take away from her. He doesn't take away her role and her purpose. Uh, if we, uh, well, let me say it this way. She still continues in her ordained role as childbearer of the human race and as a helpmate to Adam in marriage. Same roles. Nothing changes. 
There are some theologians who say, oh, well, this is because of the fall. Now that she is in a subordinate role as a, as, as a helpmate to Adam, and uh, this, uh, this is because of the fall, nothing could be further from the truth. Before the fall, God called Eve a helpmate, right? And uh, this is not a lesser role. Uh, this is not a position of lesser value. And I know that we live in a society, society with women's lib and everything else that, uh, that says, hey, wait a minute, I don't know if I like that. I want you to know man and woman, both of equal worth in God's kingdom. Man and woman, both of equal value in God's kingdom. Not one higher than the other. Uh, man and woman, both equal in God's uh, gifting that he pours on them and, and their unique cre- creative ability. Very, both equal, right? But very different roles. Very different roles. Adam was to be the spiritual leader of the family. Eve was to help Adam be a good spiritual leader and to help, help him do, uh, accomplish all that God had called them to do together as one flesh. Uh, the Bible teaches complementarian relationships. That means that the husband complements the wife and the wife complements the husband. The husband bears the image of God and the wife bears the image of God. And when they come together, complementary, they bear the image of God uh, more collectively together than they do individually. This is God's will for marriage. Uh, The other view of marriage is egalitarian, that we're both equal. And I can do, no, 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 with very different roles, both equal in worth, of course, but very different roles. And so this is God's will. And we see that that plan does not change. Eve is still the childbearer of the human race. And Eve is still the helpmate in marriage. Same roles. But now, both of these roles in marriage and in childbearing will cause pain in her life because of sin. Sin is going to cause pain to both of these roles. And we'll look at both of these. Uh, Let's take the first one. Let's first look at the effects of sin on childbearing. Uh, He says pain is going to happen uh, as in childbearing. Uh, And man, I tell you what, I have found that to be true. Any of you who have kids know that to be true, right? I remember when, when we first got pregnant, Lisa and I, uh, when she first got pregnant, um, you know, we were in, uh, gosh, I was 26 years old, I think, if my memory serves me right. Uh, and we took those uh, birthing classes. Back then they were called Lamaze classes. I don't know what they're called now. Uh, can I tell you something? What a joke. <laughs> We must be really bad students because when that, when those labor pangs happen, uh, those Lamaze classes were not real helpful. Uh, Mason and Kara go to classes. I'm not, I'm not against them. Uh, I remember in that class, they said, okay, uh, now when she goes into labor, you're going to help her breathe. And I'm like, is she going to forget to breathe? <laughs> and so you learn the, Right and, and and then those labor pains start, and everything I learned in Lamaze class was out the window, baby. It was like, breathe, be quiet, right? I mean, like. <laughs> and my wife, who is the most tender, softest, nicest person in the world. Uh, I mean, she can get along with anybody. I just love that gift in her, you know? I mean, I, I often wish I had it like she'd... Uh, for whatever reason, the nurse bothered her. <laughs> and she looked at me in the middle of a contraction and said, I don't like that nurse. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, who are you, right? Like, nice to meet you, right? Uh, so what did I do? I go to that nurse. I'm like, hey, sorry, I hate to ask, but can we get another nurse? Uh, 
And I watched my wife in so much pain, in so much pain. Broke my heart, right? And uh, then she got an epidural. Thank God for epidurals. <laughs> when Ryan came along, baby number two, she's like, I think I'm going to try it natural again. And I'm like, yeah, sure, right? I had the epidural doctor on speed dial, man. <laughs> uh, didn't even wait till the contractions started. I'm like, hey, can you get that epidural ready? You know, uh, but uh, what is God teaching us here? What is He showing us here? Um, here's what He's saying. He's saying, hey, look, sin has brought much pain and difficulty into childbearing. Not just childbearing as in birthing, but in what? In raising children. There's going to be pain involved in this because of sin. Uh, it's going to be a difficult thing. Raising children, man, uh, there's going to be difficulty. Uh, why? Well, here's why. Because of sin. You say, I don't understand. Well, sin makes it difficult to raise children. Why? Well, because as parents, we have to do something. We have to protect our kids from sin. From two kinds of sin, from internal sin and external sin. Internal sin and external sin. We have to, uh, God's saying, hey, you need to know this, man. There's going to be some work involved in this. It's, you're going to bear children. You're going to raise kids by pain. Um, there is nothing more tender more beautiful than a child. We just dedicated little uh, Isaiah Atfield to the Lord in first service and, and just holding him in my arms. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful. Uh, and, you know, kids are just amazing. Uh, great care must be taken to nurture and to love and to protect a child. But make no mistake, man, that little eight-pound package, make no mistake about it, sin is bound up in them, right? Any of you who have raised kids know this, right? Sin is bound up in them. I had four kids. Guess what I never had to teach my kids? Hey, Mariah, learn how to say this. Mine. Mine, right? No, never had to teach that. Why? Because every two-year-old finds that word quickly on their own. And as parents, what do we, we have to teach. Now listen, there's a word out there. I want you to learn this word. Share. Share, you selfish little piggy, right? <laughs> Share. And it's amazing, right? Uh, sin is bound up in the heart of the child, the Bible says. But the rod of discipline will drive it out. Uh, do not think that means that you know, you're supposed to beat your kids. Not what it means. A rod means a shepherd's rod, right? To nurture and to guide them. The shepherd would have the sheep and say, no, 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 this direction. No, 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 this direction to keep them on the right track. Uh, and that is our role as parents. There is external sin. There is internal sin. And we have to deal with both. Uh, right now, we're talking about the internal sin, right? Uh, it's inside of them. Uh, these little selfish leaders, mine. Uh, and I tell you what, if you've ever had a two-year-old, they call it the terrible twos, but I think that's a misnomer. I love two years old. It's such a great age. Uh, but uh, it's clear to see these little tiny Napoleons running around the house, right? And uh, we have to teach them uh, uh, how to share and how to, uh, uh, you know, how to uh, walk with, with character. Not only are they selfish and, and little Napoleon saying mine, they're also little deceivers. Uh, sin is inside them, right? You tell them, hey, you can't have the cupcake till after dinner. And then you walk out of the room and you walk back in the room and there's little Johnny, cupcake all over his face. And you're like, hey, what the heck? Johnny, did you eat that cupcake? And Johnny looks you right in the eyes and goes... No. <laughs> Icing everywhere, right? 
Little Napoleons, little deceivers, that's just what's in us. And we have to protect our children from that. Uh, we have to know that this sin nature is real. And God is trying to teach that to us through Adam and Eve, saying, hey, look, uh, in pain and difficulty, you're going to produce children. You're going to... Uh, uh, listen, uh, parents, may I say, children need a, lot, need a lot of love. And it's so important that we show just endless love to our kids. They need a lot of nurturing with words and with touch. And uh, gals, uh, you're, you're so good at this. Dads participate in it too. Uh, just a lot of touch, a lot of nurturing. They need a lot of play. Dad, this is your department. Man, wrestle your kids. Man, take them in. Bring them down on the ground. Play with them. Let them pin them down. Let them pin you down. I mean, uh, wrestle with them, right? Uh, that touch is so important. Uh, the little tender times, hey, getting tired, put them on your shoulder, rub their back. Uh, wonderful, right? Uh, super important. All of these things are important. Um, But they also need firm boundaries. Firm boundaries. Sin and selfishness are in their DNA. And firm boundaries will bring a lot of safety and security into their life. It is so important that we give these things to our kids. Uh, 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 we must teach them personal responsibility. Uh, do, you remember, do, do you even remember what that is? personal responsibility, uh, that we would actually be responsible for our actions. That's becoming a rare thing in the world, right? And uh, hey, to protect our kids, we need, to, we need to bring these things into their lives. And it's time to start when they're very young, teaching them to speak respect, respectfully, teaching them to share, teaching them to do chores. I mean, you can start chores at a very early age, age-appropriate chores, right? Just, you know, at, at a three years old, hey, pick up your clothes, put them in the clothes basket. Pick up your toys, put them in the toy box. Uh, start teaching about responsibility. Uh, start teaching them to respect authority. What a rarity in our day. Do you remember when kids said, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am? Why did we depart from that? Teaching them to honor authority of their teacher, of their coach, of their Sunday school teacher, of adults in general. Uh, these are important things. And, and uh, why? Because we have to protect our kids from internal sin. And so may we embrace this. May we, we walk on this. Uh, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good role. Um, uh, and let me add this, by the way. From a very early age, teach our children to respect police officers. Uh, to when you come into a store uh, and, uh, and there's a police officer there, to show respect. Uh, to teach your, let your child see it in you. Officer, thank you so much for protecting our city. I appreciate what you do. Shake his hand. This is my son, Johnny. This is my daughter, Sally, whatever the case may be, right? And, and model that for them. Uh, just super important things. So we have to protect our kids from internal sin. It's there. Uh, and, and here's the good news, right? Uh, he doesn't say uh, by pain and suffering, you're not going to be able to produce children. No, he says with pain and suffering, you're going to be able to produce. It's still possible to produce really good kids. It just takes more work now, right? Because of a sin nature. Uh, so we protect them from the internal sin. We also have to protect them from the external sin. What is the external sin? What is it? Let me hear from you. Society. What about society? What's going to happen? Hey, they're going to get bullied. They're going to get peer pressure. They're going to get bombarded with lies, with uh, immorality, with sexual immorality, with alcohol, with drugs, with all kinds of just ungodly worldviews. They're going to get bombarded with the toxicity of social media. And they need your protection from all of these things. 
They are not capable of, of, of navigating these waters and they need parameters up around them. Staggering statistic. The average age that a child is exposed to pornography is 11 years old. Pre-puberty, the average child in America sees pornography at 11 years old. Staggering statistic, 10% of all pornography videos are viewed by children under the age of 11. Staggering. That is according to Bitdefender. Uh, Dad and mom, I want you to know something. We can't just sit here and go say, that's horrible. No, no, no. We have to protect our children from this, right? Uh, we have to. Can I say something, church family? Your kids do not need iPhones. They don't need iPads. They don't need a screen before their face 24-7. Let's kill the screens. They're not a friend. And uh, send them outside. Send them to play. One of the things that grieves me, I'll go to a restaurant, I'll see a family, and there's a screen before every single face. The dad's looking at a screen, the mom's looking at a screen, and the kids have a bigger screen, and they're looking for it, and nobody's talking to each other. And here's what needs to happen. We need to protect them from internal sin and from external sin. It's real. It's prevalent. Um, more important than ever that we train up a child in the way they should go. Uh, read them Bible studies. Tell them about Jesus. Uh, teach them about self-control. Teach them about personal responsibility. Teach them to honor the authority. Help them understand what it means to be a member of a church from an early age. Hey, today, Johnny, when you go to church, I want you to serve one of your buddies at church. Uh, teach them how to be selfless. Teach them how to give gifts. Teach them, teach them what it means to be a servant, to be a builder of other people, uh, what it means to be in, in gospel-centered fellowship, Christian friends. Uh, help them to know. Uh, uh, dads, you spiritual leaders, teach them the ways of the Lord. Teach them what it means to have Jesus as their, as their Lord, Right? Uh, the, he's our king. He's what we worship. Uh, the Westminster uh, Confessional, excuse me, the Westminster Catechism, the first tenet of the Westminster Catechism, that we might glorify God and enjoy him forever. Teach that to our kids. Good to get back to these things, right? That we might glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, so, <clears throat> so important. Um, the effects of uh, sin upon childbearing are clearly evident. But as we abide in Jesus Christ and teach our children to make Jesus Lord, uh, they will thrive and glorify Jesus, and we can still be victorious, even though sin's in the world. Uh, let's go on. Then it will move from uh, the, the effects of sin in childbearing. Let's look at the next point he brings out, the effects of sin in marriage. He says... Uh, your desire shall be for your husband. In other words, your desire will be to rule over him, and he shall rule over you. Uh, what is this talking about here? Uh, well, God's saying, hey, there's going to be, because of sin, uh, there's going to be a struggle in marriage relationships. And this, the struggle in marriage relationships is astonishing. Why? Because here's why. Self selfishness destroys marriages. And now that we have a sin nature, we bring a lot of selfishness into the marriage. Selfishness destroys marriage. Competing with each other instead of complementing each other destroys marriage. Marriage is fantastic when you are selflessly serving each other. But marriage is brutal when we are selfish. And Adam and Eve are now selfish because of sin. And so God's saying, listen, you're going to struggle in your marriage here. You're going to have to work at it. Uh, husbands and wives struggling in the husband's role of being a spiritual leader. Husbands 
abdicating their role as spiritual leader. Not taking it seriously. Not fighting the fight. Not putting a lot of thought and meditation into what that role is and how they're going to do it. It's going to happen because of selfishness. And God is saying, hey, listen, be careful. I want you to know what you're up against here. Women rebelling against man's role as a spiritual leader. Husbands abusing their role as spiritual leader. By the way, spiritual leader in a family does not mean that the man gets what he wants. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. Jesus uh, was the model for us. The Bible tells us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, right? Uh, Guys, if we're going to know what that means, we better be looking at Jesus' life and figuring out how he taught the church, how he spoke to the church, how he disciplined the church, how he led the church, how he nurtured the church, when he was gracious, when he was firm. If we're going to emulate his ways, we better know how he, how he did it, right? Um, and so really important to, to, to look at. Uh, I want you to know Jesus is for you in your role as husband and wife. Or in your role in the courting, you know, in the, as you move towards that, even in singlehood, uh, God is with, he wants the best for us. That's why he's telling us these things to Adam and Eve. He wants the best for us. Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, take on my ways and learn of me. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Easy might be better translated simple. It's not complex. Come learn my ways. They'll work really well. My burden is light. You'll enjoy it. It'll be rewarding in your life. And so uh, uh, Jesus is for you. He wants to bless you. And even though we're raising kids in a difficult world, even though we're entering into marriage as sinful creatures, selfish creatures, God is for us, right? He doesn't say no marriage, no kids. No, no, no. He could have done that. He could have said, Adam and Eve, I'm done with you. We'll make Bill and Sue. We'll see how they do. Uh, He didn't. He said, no, no, no. I still have you in this plan. This is my plan of redemption. I want to use you. And guys, uh, I want to encourage you. Ladies, I want to encourage you. We have a lot of great tools to help you make Jesus the Lord of your marriage. Marriage is amazing when Jesus is, is the Lord of your marriage. We did a This Is Us series, uh, looking just specifically at how to make Jesus the Lord of your relationships, Lord of your marriage. Go through it. It's available. It's online. It, it's, it's, it's free. Uh, and you'll have you know, just great instruction about how to make Jesus Lord of your marriage. Um, we did a, a talk in the Matthew series titled God's Design for Marriage. And uh, take a look at that, and, and it'll help you, equip you to understand what, what, what God's brilliant design for marriage is. Uh, we did a talk. It's one of our most popular talks on our website, uh, God's Design for Sex. If you're frustrated in that part of your marriage, uh, there's a brilliant design in it. If you're single and you're having a hard time understanding why you should wait till you get married, there's a brilliant design in it. Take a listen to that message. Uh, It'll really help equip you. Uh, Guys, if you want to be a spiritual leader in your family, you need help about how to do that, how to walk in this world, how to love my wife like Jesus loved the church. Uh, We did a series, uh, A Man's Role in Marriage. I think it was a three-part talk about how to how to be a spiritual leader in your in your marriage so all of these things are available online Uh, i would encourage you to check them out uh this is what god was speaking to eve hey uh childbearing is going to be difficult but i'm with you you'll make it through marriage is going to be difficult but i'm with you you'll make it through now let's look at what he says to the man are you with me verse 17 uh this is the fourth part of god's dealing his plan of redemption uh, being revealed. This is the fourth part of it right here now. Um, Gene, go ahead and put that next slide up for me, if you will. Uh, so here's the fourth part of that redemptive plan. To the Adam, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 17. To Adam, he said, this is God speaking, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, 
and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat. Uh, Paraphrase. Because you abdicated your role as spiritual leader. Adam, you are the responsible party here. Why was Eve even near that tree? Why were you not protecting her? Why did you allow her to be deceived? Why were you not involved in keeping this from happening? Adam, because you abdicated your role, cursed is the ground for your sake. You might want to underline the words for your sake. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. What's that? Men, you're going to have to work hard to earn a living. It's going to be a lot of work. You're going to have to tend the garden. You're going to have to do a lot. All the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, made from the dust. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. You'll notice as God speaks this uh, in your Bible, is is there more margin around it? Is it kind of centered? That's because this was Hebrew poetry. Whenever you see the margin like that, uh, this is poetry. God was speaking poetically, uh, and uh, some just profound things that God is speaking to Adam here. Uh, Cursed is the ground for your sake. And by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread. Very interesting. Why? Why did God do this? Uh, Super interesting to look at. Uh, Weeds and thorns are a chronic problem. I was in my backyard this week. I was doing some work. And man, sure enough, I spent a lot of my time back there pulling weeds. And you know what I know? Next week when I go to mow my lawn, I'll have the same thing again. Why? Why? What is going on? Well, I believe God is trying to show us something. I believe just like with Eve, he was trying to show us something. Just like when he cursed the serpent, he's trying to show us something. This creature that was once a beautiful creature, now was a lowly creature crawling on the dirt. That's what Satan is ultimately going to be. We're waiting for that day. God is trying to teach us, and he's trying to teach us something here. He's trying to teach us something about our sin nature, about this new nature that Adam and Eve have now that they've rebelled against God. It's the same nature we have. And here's what he's trying to teach us. Weeds grow all by themselves. Good crops have to be cultivated. It used to be the other way around. Good crops just happened all by themselves. You can still have a good crop, but you're going to have to work at it now. It's going to require some work. This is a picture of man's new nature, our new nature, our sin nature. When we say sin nature, what do we mean? What does it mean that when we say we have a sin nature? When we say our kids have a sin nature, what do we mean? It means that it's our nature to sin. It's not our nature to be holy. It's not our nature to do what is righteous, what is selfless. It's our nature to sin. Now, God is showing us you can still have a good crop, but now you have to work at it. Uh, what What a symbol, what a picture. You can still have a good marriage, but now you have to what? You got to pull some weeds to have a good marriage. You can still have good character, but now you're going to have to pull some weeds to have good character. You can still have some humility, but now you're going to have to pull some weeds to have humility. And on and on I could go, right? Why? Because 
Selfishness, like weeds, grow all by themselves. And it's an ongoing problem. I want you to know, I do not believe that God put this curse on the ground as a punishment for man. I believe he did it as a blessing for man. And you say, well, I don't know about that, man. I worked 60 hours this week. And yeah, I understand. But I want you to know, I believe it was a blessing, uh, not a cursing uh, uh, for man. Um, when Adam and Eve had a righteous nature, time off for leisure, for leisure was no problem at all. It was the normal. But now with the sin nature, time off for leisure can be dangerous. When Adam and Eve had a righteous nature, time off, they would spend walking with God. They would spend serving each other. They would spend loving each other. They didn't have to try to be selfless. They were selfless. All right? They, would just, they didn't have to try to be loving. They were loving. But now with the sin nature, you got time off. You don't go to prayer you go to Vegas, <laughs> right? You get time off, you don't go to your Bible, you go to the TV. You don't go to serve, you go to the internet. You don't go to give, you go shopping. I got some time off. And God says, I need to limit your time off. Cursed is the ground for your sake. I'm going to keep you pretty busy because if you have too much time off, you're going to get into, ah, ah. When you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, what comes to mind? Let me hear from you out loud. Perversion. What, what kind of Perversion. Sexual perversion. When we think of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of homosexuality, radical sexual perversion. And it was. It was. I mean, just read, it was. I mean, it was bad. But that's not what God calls the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, interesting, interestingly enough. Do you remember uh, about some of the stuff about how this happened? Think about this. There were two guys. One's name was Abraham. The other one's name, his nephew, his name was Lot. And God had blessed them. They were walking with God. They were following God. And God blessed them. God made a covenant with Abraham. And Abraham's livestock grew so big and Lot's livestock grew so big that they could no longer travel together because the, the ground can you know, feed all their livestock. So Abraham says, we need to separate. Lot, you can go wherever you want to go. Abraham being the more spiritual, the more mature, the more wise, the more humble. Lot, it should have been Abraham's choice, right? But he says, Lot, you can choose. You can go wherever you want. So Lot looks around. Desert, 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 desert. Lush, verdant, green. And selfishly, guess what he does? Oh, I'll choose that. And Uncle Abe, you can have the desert. And so Lot goes to this lush, verdant land. Its name? Sodom and Gomorrah. He gets there and he finds, oh man, crops go, grow amazing. So much water, such fertile soil. You don't even have to work hard and crops grow. And what happened? The people of Sodom had so much time and leisure, they got into big trouble. Uh, we think of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah as sexual immorality. Not what God says. Look at Ezekiel 16.49 on your screens. Uh, let me hear you read this. God is speaking to the nation Israel. The nation Israel is in rebellion. This is long after Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, God uses them as an example. Here's what he says. Look, this was the iniquity or the sin of your sister Sodom. Let's stop there a second. Uh, when God calls Israel the sister of Sodom, how many of you know that's not a compliment? Uh, 
they're not related, but he's saying you are related in your behaviors, right? You're acting like uh, Sodom did. Uh, she, that's Sodom, and her daughter, who's her daughter? That's Gomorrah. Sodom was one town, Gomorrah was another town. Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, look what they did. Uh, read with me. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, an abundance of idleness, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Interesting. She didn't have to work by the sweat of the brow to earn their bread because the land was so verdant and fertile. There was so much water. They didn't have to work hard. They had an abundance of idleness. And what did they do with it? They ran into mischief. And God says, cursed is the ground for your sake. Now that we have a sin, a sin nature, God says, I can't give you too much free time because if I do, you'll misuse it. I can't give you too much prosperity because if I do, you'll amuse it. You'll abuse it. I can't give you, you'll become materialistic. You'll become lusty. You'll become all these various things. You'll become perverse. Uh, uh, hey, you know what? You, you, here's what? Here's what God's saying. It's God's will that you would work hard. That is honorable. You who are working hard on your job, can I tell you something? You are pleasing the Lord. Great job. You who are providing for your family, great job. If you're sitting next to someone and they're providing, they're the breadwinner, pat them on the back. Uh, if you are going to work every day and you are paying all your bills, great job. If you are sitting here and you are abusing government aid, you're on your fifth handout and you're just, can I tell you something? You are going against the will of God. Knock it off. I don't care if it's available. I don't care if it's legal. Do not take it. Uh, this church never took a PPP loan, even though they were available. We're the only church that I know of that didn't take one. And I am so thankful our board had the wisdom to say no. Uh, I wasn't fishing, but that's worthy of applause for sure. Uh, uh, but hey, here's what God says. I want you to work hard. It's good for you. Why? Because hard work develops character. And why does, and hard work for your kids develops character. Uh, why does God want us to have character? Why is character so important to us? Uh, so, excuse me. Why is character so important to God? Uh, why does God want us to work hard to have good character? Why? Okay, good answer. I want more. I, I want to get the shovel in deeper, though. Why? Why is good character so important to God? What's that? To be able to make the right choices. We're getting closer. I like that. To carry out His mission. Okay. Here's why: because God wants to bless us. God wants to bless us, and God cannot bless us until our character can properly manage the blessing. What would you do if you had tons of time off? What would you do if God gave you a ton of power and influence? How would you use it? Would you steward it well? God wants to bless you, but he is wise. He's a good investor. He will not bless you if your character cannot properly manage the blessing. What would you do if you had tons of Bible knowledge? How would you use it? Would you be a religious Pharisee or would you be a builder of men? Which one? How would you use? Here, character is important. And God says, hey, listen, I don't want you going sideways. I want you working hard by the sweat of your brow because you will develop good character. And the reason I want you to have good character is because I want to pour abundant blessings on your life. And it takes a steady hand to hold a full cup. 
God is demonstratively showing us the battle between our flesh and our spirit that now exists because of our sin nature. Do you know what, what he's showing us? Do you know what he's telling us? Listen, gardener, you have weeds and wheat growing in the same garden. Be careful. Be careful. And all of us do. In my heart, I so want to serve God. But in my flesh, I find that I serve sin. In my heart, I so want to have a good crop, wheat. But in my flesh, I find that I've got a lot of weeds. And this battle is real, right? It's there. And it's perennial. It's ongoing. Every week I go in my backyard, more weeds. What the heck? I thought I pulled you last week. And that's a picture of my nature. The patriarchs in the Bible wrote of this. The people who have a real walk with God, they don't act real spiritual and holy. No, no, no. They are well aware of this problem of weeds and wheat growing in the same garden. Look how the psalmist wrote of it in Psalm 119. I believe Ezra wrote Psalm 119, by the way, a magnificent psalm. Uh, let me hear you read this. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Let's pause there. Do you see the struggle? Oh, I want to walk in your ways. You've commanded us to diligently walk in your ways. Oh, that I wish I could. Do you see the struggle? Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Now with all the weeds in my life, when I look into your commandments, guess what I am? I'm ashamed. Oh, Lord, I sinned again. Look at the struggle. Let's go on in the verse. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Uh, do you see this struggle? Oh, Lord, I want to do it. Oh, Lord, I messed up again. Don't give up on me, Lord. Don't give up on me. Uh, let's go on. How can a young man cleanse his way? Oh, what's the, what's the question? I've stepped in the mud again. I went on www.whatever. I went and had a drink. I went and gambled. I went and was prideful. I went and was angry. I went and uh, got materialistic. I went and I did it again. I walked in the mud. How can I cleanse my way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, Lord, please help me. Let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you see this dichotomy? Weeds and wheat, the desire, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul, one of the best Christians ever, right? I mean, if there was such a thing. Uh, I mean, he, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He planted churches all over the place. Uh, look at how he says it in Romans chapter 7. Uh, look at this. This is Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says, talking about weeds and, and, and wheat growing in the same garden, he says, what I am doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I end up doing. If then I do... What I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. I like that. I like that. Here's what Paul is saying. Oh, my gosh. I didn't want to be boastful. I didn't want to be arrogant. I want to be humble. And guess what I just was? Boastful and arrogant. That what I want to do? That's not what I did. I want to... But here's what he says. If then I do that what I don't want to do, I'm agreeing with you, God, that your law is what? Good. And that means I'm a son and daughter of God. God, I want to be humble instead of prideful. I agree with you, Lord. Your ways are good. Uh, let's go on. Let's see what he says. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing but weeds. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. 
uh, to will is present with me, saying, I want to do the right thing, but I end up not being able to figure out how to do it. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that's what I end up doing. And he goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the bondage of death that I have in my flesh? with all these weeds that grow. And he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What's that? God looks at us and he says, I understand. I understand. And I've got you. I've got you. Our flesh is so prideful. Our flesh is so sinful that we want others to think we don't struggle with sin because we're so righteous. It's a lie. It's a lie. And God here says, listen, I know your struggle. And here's the reality. You got wheat and you got weeds growing in the same garden. And so what do we do with that? What do we learn from this? Where do we take it? How, what do we do with this position? Uh, well, I want to I give you four things and we'll close. We'll wrap up with this. Four things that we'll wrap up. I'm going to hit them fast. So you might want to write them down. The first thing we do is this. We know this. There's not a backyard in the world that doesn't have weeds. Therefore, regular weed pulling is a necessary part of every person's life. Regular weed pulling is a necessary part of every person's life. And how many of you know I'm not talking about weeds, right? This is metaphorical, right? You understand, right? Deal with the sin in your life right? Regular weed pulling. It's part of everyday life. We can still have a beautiful garden. You just have to work at it. You can still have a good marriage. You just have to work at it. You can still have good relationships. We just have to work at it. We can still have good kids. We just have to work at it. And that working at it is called, the theological term is called sanctification. I'm constantly saying, oh, got a weed, pull that out. Lord, I want to present myself to you. Sanctification. And by God's grace, we can still produce good character in our life by God's grace. Secondly, since we all grow a lot of weeds in our own garden, let's not be so judgmental and offended by other people's weeds. What the heck, man? You got some weeds in your yard, man, and they're bugging me. My HOA says no weeds in the yard, and your weeds are bothering me. Hey, careful, buckaroo. You got some weeds in your own yard. And Jesus would say it this way. Why are you so concerned about the little weed in your brother's eye when you got a bushel of weeds in your own eye? Right? Let's not be so easily offended and judgmental. My favorite people on the earth are those who have an intimate walk with Christ because they are humble and gracious. And when I step on their toes, they go, no problem. I had a good friend I wanted to take out to dinner on his birthday, and I forgot to wish him happy birthday on the day of his birthday. This is a close friend. And so I say, man, I'm so sorry I forget, forgot your birthday. Uh, can, I take, can, I, can we go out to a birthday dinner, just the four of us? Can we go? Yeah, sure, no problem, yeah. I'll pick you up at 6 o'clock or whatever time it was, 6.30, I forget what it was. Uh, obviously, I'm good on time. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm working, I get caught up, and guess what I'm late for? I miss his birthday on the day of the birthday, and now I'm late to pick him up on the night and we're celebrating his belated birthday, right? And you know what? I pick them up, and you know what they were? No problem. So gracious. So gentle. So we had so much fun. I love being around those kind of people. And so do others. And these are the people we want to be. We've all got weeds in our yard. So let's not be so judgmental and offended by other people's weeds. Let forgiveness flow, right? You've been forgiven of a lot of weeds. Uh, forgive others, right? Uh, number three, let's not legalize weeds. <laughs> right? What am I saying? 
We can't say, hey, nothing wrong with weeds. As a matter of fact, weeds are good. As a matter of fact, I was born with weeds. Yes, you were, and they need to be pulled. Do not legalize your bad behaviors. Do not justify them. Call them what they are. What are they? Weeds. And let me tell you something. Weeds feed no one. And weeds only choke out good crops. They are dangerous and they will ruin the garden and you cannot coexist with them. It doesn't work that way. Do not legalize your weed. <laughs> right? Sin destroys. And we must not promote sin as good. And we are living in a society today where weeds are being promoted right and left as normal and good. And it's a lie from the pit of hell that only exists to destroy lives and to kill. To take away from all that God has for you and to bring ruin into your life. What garden would you rather be in? A barren wasteland full of tumbleweeds or a lush, verdant garden that was well kept? And that is a picture, not of your backyard, but of your life. And when we tell people, no, 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 your weeds are okay. We are commissioning them to a barren wilderness where there is no life. And if we really love those people, we would not do that to them. The insanity. Am I connecting? Am I making sense? Do not legalize weeds. In Isaiah, God said, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. And I tell you, it is the law of the land today. And you and I need to be wise to see it and not participate in it. I want a nice cultivated garden. I don't want to live in tumbleweeds all my life. Uh, <clears throat> may, we, may we be wise. What do we do if we have weeds and we've all got them? What do we do? Well, the last point I want to leave you with is we bring our weeds to Jesus. For Jesus' blood is plenty capable of covering all of our weeds. May I remind you of something very profound? Because of sin, God said, cursed is the ground for your sake. Thorns and thistles it's going to produce. You can still have a good crop, but you're going to have to work at it by the sweat of your brow. Can I remind you of something? On the cross... Jesus was crowned with what? Thorns. Jesus was crowned as king of the curse of sin. Planned from the beginning of time. Crowned with the curse of sin. The king of the curse of sin. He said, give it to me. Give your thorns to me. I will be the king of the curse. I will take all of your sin upon my own back. And I will take all of God's wrath. And I will go to the cross. And I will nail it there. And I will give you a crown of righteousness. My righteousness. I will take your crown of thorns and I will give you my crown of righteousness. And husbands, this is how you love your wife. This is how Christ loves us. Great is his mercy. And great is the reward of those who follow him. May we till our gardens. May we have beautiful gardens to the glory of the Lord. And may we experience God's plan of redemption that he so clearly laid out for us that brings life even in the midst of a dark and perverse world that we might shine as beacons of light radiating and revealing 
the glory of Jesus Christ and the wisdom that comes from walking in his ways. Amen?